Daniel chapter 3. And if you believe in Jesus Christ, can I hear an amen? Amen. 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 Um, We sometimes limit worship to just singing songs and we forget that it's art and it's poetry. It's, uh, if you've, if you've traveled anywhere, seen any old, um, churches, of course, a lot of you've gotten to go to the Holy Land. I have not, but, um, some of the older churches that I've been into that have mosaics and stained glasses, you see worship in the art that is on the walls and is on the floor. Um, and we need to remember that, that, that our worship shouldn't just be limited to, to a, a Sunday morning to proclaim the name of Jesus is to just put his name and what he has done out there. It's just to say, this is what I believe. You don't have to have your Bible in your hand to proclaim the name of Jesus. His word needs to be written on, on your heart. And that's what we believe this morning, that he, he came in a miraculous way. He died a criminal's death, being sinless, and he became the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Three days later, he rose from the dead. Forty days after that, he ascended to heaven in our hope. And what we all look forward to is him coming back. Um, this morning we're going to look at First Samuel chapter 3. Uh, about a month ago I, I had a message called A Dangerous Prayer. This morning uh, it's going to seem a little less dangerous because it's a simple prayer. Um, but I want to give you a hint, it's no less dangerous in your life to pray. Uh, it, it opens our life up to God's leading. Of course that's what prayer does. It doesn't mold God toward us. It basically adjusts our will to the Father when we commune with Him in prayer. So this morning we're gonna, we're gonna look at 1 Samuel chapter 3. Before, uh, we pray asking for God's direction, I just want to read to you, uh, a couple of verses. We'll start with verse 8 and we'll back up in a, in a moment. It says this, and the Lord, I'm sorry, in the third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy, and so Eli told Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Let's go to the Lord and pray, asking his direction. Uh, as we look into his word and asking for his protection for those who look out for our freedoms. And I want to ask David Demerson, if you would. There's somebody in your life or somebody you know of that, if, if, if they speak, they, they could be maybe even a hundred yards away, but if you heard their voice, you would know it was them. My father is that way for me. I, I still believe that I can hear him clear his throat in a negative way toward me all the way in Dallas. Um, as kids, my dad ran the sound booth at our church, and I was the youngest of three, and at one point, all three of us were in the youth group together, which meant we sat on the front three rows of this, you know, we had pretty good-sized Baptist church. Well, we, we built a new building, and this is just kind of how this sort of would lay out, and our youth group sat in the, you know, there were two sections in the middle, two ones on the wings, and we sat in the, the middle left if you were looking at the stage, and I firmly believe my father took his view in the crow's nest up above me so he could watch his sons 
not worried about my sister, but that he could watch his two sons to make sure we were not up to shenanigans. And it started right before we built this building. Um, he realized that it may not be a good thing to have my older brother sitting next to me because if one of us got tickled, the other one would start laughing. And the one of, one of us who would laugh didn't have a lot of control over the volume of his laughter. He couldn't laugh quietly. So his little brother, me, used to like to try to get him to start laughing at the non-opportune times. And one Sunday, it just happened, I just noticed something that made me laugh. Now, this is probably the reason why I am falcally challenged at this point in my life, because I was laughing at a guy who was bald, who suddenly, because of the way he was sitting to the side, he's just a friend of ours, a close friend, my, my parents used to play dominoes and cards with this couple all the time, and so we were around Dallas and Buda Melvin often. Now, Dallas is five foot tall, I mean, he's a little, little short guy, and Dallas ended up just shaving his head once his hair was gone. And so Dallas would sit on the front row with the choir when the choir would sit off onto the side after, you know, they got done with the morning worship at the church. And the person he always sat next to was my mother, who was 4'10". Okay, so they're sitting there right next to each other. Now this is, mind you, um, late 80s, early 90s, when the big poofy hair do craze was going around. And Dallas, one Sunday morning, as I'm sitting there next to my older brother, Dallas sits down in front of another lady in our church, in the, just the pew behind her, and all of a sudden it went like Dallas, who we saw on a weekly basis, not just at church, but in our home. Dallas went from bald to fro, like that. Like the hair. And I'm sitting there like, do I share this or do I keep this to myself? And I started just, and my older brother's like, what? 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 You know, and I'm like, look at Dallas. Look at Dallas. Now you got to understand my older brother um, is partially deaf in both ears. So when I have to tell him quietly to look at Dallas, about half the youth group hears it. Okay, to which it causes most of the boys in the youth group to crane their heads over and they see exactly what I'm seeing. But the only one who had the audacity to laugh out loud is George Clarence Mitchell, the fourth. That's not my name, by the way. That's my older brother. So Clay is laughing, just it's trying to hold it in. And then I look over and Dallas is listening to the pastor and there is a person sitting next to Dallas who's not focused on the sermon that morning, but focused on her two teenage sons that are sitting there giggling, looking her direction. And then she noticed the rest of the youth group is looking that direction. And then from on high, we heard this. Now, most of the youth group really settled down whenever that would happen because dad was a deacon in the church and like it was just, everybody was afraid of him because he's 6'3". So he had the stature over pretty much all the boys in the youth group, and he, he's not a small guy. And he cleared his throat a second time. <clears throat> now the first one meant settle down. The second one meant turn around. And you could kind of hear this low murmur in the youth group. Because they know who it's directed at. They know it's directed at Clay and his little brother James cleared his throat a third time to which my youth pastor sitting behind me goes I think your dad's trying to get your attention and I turn around and look and he just goes and I go Clay dad wants us to come sit with him and he's like 
he's up in the sound booth. And I go, I think we're in trouble like that. So from the front of the church, we had to get up and walk. It was just shameful. There were a couple of guys that just, you know, we just knew from them being around my dad that are looking at us like, it's been nice knowing you. Um, good luck. We'll be praying for you during the service as you do. He made us sit on the stairwell leading up to the sound booth the whole time. And as we sit there about five minutes into it, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm never going to see a video game, a TV show, a G.I. Joe toy, or a Lego the rest of my life. And my older brother just Kate, he wouldn't let it go. We're sitting there, and all of a sudden, he just goes. <clears throat> <clears throat> to which, again, we heard this. <clears throat> okay. So, at this point in my life, if my, if my dad is in a room, and he clears his throat, I automatically think he's trying to get my attention. Okay. Um, I'm just just out of fear and respect, really. But he also has a voice that I just know his voice. I just know it. Um, if my phone rings and it doesn't show the phone number and I pick it up and he's calling from his office, when he says, hey, son, I just immediately know who it is. I know his voice. And in this passage, we find that Samuel, who's been set apart, and we'll get to that in a second, is learning to hear God's voice and learning what God's voice sounds like when he speaks to him. Now, the last time we talked about a simple prayer was praying, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. This isn't just as, Lord, see if there be any wicked way in me. This this prayer today is, Lord, lead me. Specifically, lead me. Say to me what you need to say. So it's it's really a prayer for us to learn how to pray, to be quiet and let God really speak. Sometimes our prayers become our list. Of everything we got to get out today, da, 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 da. and then we're done. Amen. But and we don't give him a chance to talk. And this is a prayer to ask God and to plead with God to pray. I mean, in our prayer, it's a we're praying to ask Him to lead us. So how did how did Samuel get to this point? We got to back up to chapter one, and I'm not going to read through it, but I I want to show you this. Go ahead, David. It, it, it starts off like this: Samuel and Hannah wants to have a baby. There's a lady in the Bible that tells us there's a lady by the name of Hannah. Now, in this day, it's it's not condoning polygamy, but her husband, Elkanah, if I said that right, has two two wives. Hannah, who has no children, and Paniah, who we don't know how many children she has, but we know that she has multiple children, and she is mocking Hannah because of it. And Hannah is brokenhearted. Elkanah, he's, he's a good husband, as good as he can be. Because when it comes time to give portions, he always, of food and provision, he always gives Hannah double. His heart is going out to her. The Bible tells us that the Lord has closed her womb. So one day, and you gotta remember this is, this is before the temple is built, so they're still in, they're, they've settled in Israel, but it's the tabernacle, and the tabernacle's in a place called Shiloh. So there at Shiloh, Hannah goes up to pray. And sitting in the, the doorway of, of the temple is, is the priest, Eli. And Hannah is praying, and she's pleading, and she's praying and pleading, and she's asking God to just let her have a baby. He says, if I, can have, if I can have a son, I will literally just give him back to you for just your service. I just want to be able to have a baby. 
Now, Eli is watching this whole thing and thinks that there's something wrong with her because her prayer is so intense that no audible sound is coming out of her mouth. So he sees her, her lips are moving, nothing's coming out, and he immediately thinks something is wrong and that she's possibly drunk. And we're going to find out later in a minute that Eli is having some own issues at home with his own children and the way that they've been acting. So to him, anything's possible how depraved people can be because if his two sons can be that evil and wicked and then still claim God, there's got to be something wrong with this lady. But he goes to her and he asks her what's going on and basically says, hey, I, I think there's, you know, have you been drinking? Is there a problem? And this is paraphrased. And Hannah says, no, I'm praying. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm not drunk. I just want a son. And in fact, before she even tells him he just wants a son, he says, you know, when she explains I'm not drunk and I'm praying, he says, listen, whenever you're praying, I'm, I'm going to pray too that God would bless you and grant it to you and give it to you. So when Hannah leaves and goes back home, she's not carrying the weight, the sorrow of not having a child. In fact, she leaves with confidence that it's going to happen. And the Bible tells us that it does. She gives birth to a son. And she names him Samuel. And after he is weaned, she brings him back to the temple. And she gives him to Eli and says, here he is. He's yours to raise for the service of the Lord. The Bible tells us she goes on to have three more sons and two more daughters. That's God's blessing right there on her life. Now, chapter 2 tells us this. Eli, go ahead, David. Eli's sons are scumbag priests. I'm using the word scumbag because I know the Bible says in some translations, scoundrels. But I'm a little bit of like, I like movies and I grew up watching Star Wars. So I think scoundrel, I think Han Solo, who's my hero growing up as a kid. Okay, so I, these guys are, aren't scoundrels. These guys are scum. They are literally taking the first portions of sacrifices that are brought up. Like the, the animals that are about to be either boiled to be prepared or brought up to be put out on the, on the altar. They are literally, before they can even be offered to God, they are taking a first fruit. They are taking a portion off of it and saying, this is the priestly portion. This is mine. Now you can go put it up. And that's not how it was supposed to be done. The offering was meant to be given to God. The fat was meant to be burned off of it. And then each priest could come by and take a fork and stick it in the pot as it was boiling the meat. And whatever they pulled up out was their portion. It was like whatever God gave them is how they saw it. But these guys are like, well, before God gives gets what's due him, we're going to grab ours. That's problem number one. Problem number two, we don't know if they began it, but they're participating in God's temple in fornicating with prostitutes. In God's temple, in the tabernacle. That's a problem. In Eli, we don't know if it's that he can't do anything to stop them. We just know that Eli isn't stopping them. And God lets Eli know that the line of priests in your family are ending with you. And it's going to come soon for the two of them. There's no turning back for the sons of Eli. And it's into this environment where these guys are acting this way that Hannah brings Samuel to Eli. What the Bible tells us about Samuel is that Samuel has a good reputation. 
His heart is focused on serving in the temple. His heart is, his mind is focused on following what Eli has for him to do. And at night they sleep in that tabernacle. Keep saying temple, but they, every night they sleep in that tent, the tabernacle. And of all places where Samuel sleeps, he's sleeping close to the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's where we find him at the beginning of chapter 3. We find out that one night they're sleeping. And this is what God's word says. It says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days, and there was no frequent vision. And I've got to stop there, and, and I want you to notice that. We could run over that. But it says the word of the Lord was rare. That when God spoke, it was so special for whatever reason. Either people weren't listening or they weren't paying attention or there was nobody there who was faithful enough to deliver the message. Verse 1 of chapter 3 lets us know how special just God saying Samuel's name is going to be. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. And at that time, Eli, whose eyesight had began to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So it's nighttime. They're asleep. Now we're still getting used to our home. Even though we've lived there about six months, we're still getting used to our new house. And uh, the other night, my, my cell phone buzzed for whatever reason. And it fell off my nightstand. And the next thing I heard was, thud, 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 thud. and here came Jack around the corner from the, down the hallway where his bedroom is. It's like, what was that? You know, I'm like, and before I could say anything, it was like, it's your dad's cell phone. Okay. Thump, 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 thump. We have a crawl space. So it makes that sound. Um, and he's a monster. He's huge. Um, so it just, when something, you know what your house sounds like? I mean, your house could probably creak. Some of you have lived in your house long enough that even when it creaks a certain way, it doesn't wake you up. But if somebody comes to visit all night long, they just hear that creaking, whatever it is, in a rafter with the wind blowing, whatever it may be. Um, it's in the t- It's in the tabernacle. And there's nobody there at night. And everything, the candles, everything are starting to dim out and burn out. And it's in that moment that God speaks. But Samuel, Samuel doesn't understand. It says, verse 4, Then the Lord called Samuel, and he said, Here, and he said, Samuel said, Here am I, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Go lie down. And he went and laid down. And the Lord called again, Samuel. It's probably a lot deeper. Samuel. Or something, I don't know how how he sounds, but, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, here I am for you called me. And Eli says, I did not call my son, go lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Samuel hasn't had this personal encounter yet. And most prophets do. Most priests do. He is still learning about who God is. He's a 
probably a teenager at this point, maybe 12 years old. And this is, this is where we find him. And it says this, verse 8, And the Lord called to Samuel again the third time, and he arose and went to Eli. It said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. And it says, And the Lord stood, came and stood, calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And the Lord, and the, and Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This morning I just want to break down those six words, and we're really only going to break down five because we're going to leave out the word four because it's a preposition. Um, not that it's not important, but we're just, it's going to have no bearing in what we're looking at today. So today I want to, I want to break down this passage because we could, we could pray this prayer in a lot of different ways. David, go ahead, if you would. So if we were to put the emphasis on the word speak, instead of just saying speak for your servant is listening, we would say speak for your servant is listening. The word speak is in an imperative form, which means it, it could be a command, or more than likely in this place, it's a plea. It's it's begging. It's not demanding of God as much as it's saying, please say something again. Speak, for your servant is listening. It's very much I, it's very much like Samuel was doing, he was running to Eli. He was saying, Here I am. What do you what do you need to say? And so that first word speak is sets the stage for all of it. It opens the door of permission. It's saying, God, whatever you need to say to me, say it. Please, say it. Again, not demanding of him, but pleading with him to hear the precious words from him. Speak. The second the second word is your. Your. And this, this is very simple, but yet sometimes we, we let a few things go by the wayside. When we say your to God in, in relation to us, he's going to say your servant. We say speak for your servant is listening. There are so many things in our culture, so many things that surround us that bide for our time and attention. It's, it's amazing the ways that you can waste time without even knowing it, Tim. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. You, you, and then you, you sit there and you go, where did my day go? I had so many important things to do and I wasted time right here. It's, it's why I've, I've seen people doing it a lot lately. They just, if you're on social media and they just take time and they, they turn it off and they're not on there. I'm, I'm just going to give you a hint. I, I tried it without telling everybody. Nobody missed me on Facebook for a whole week, Joe. It was absolutely amazing. Nobody missed me. And here's the fun part. I didn't miss it. I really didn't. In fact, when I got back on there, I'm like, man, there is still a lot of stuff for sale on Facebook. <laughs> most of, most of the, most of the notifications I have were, were for things like that or, or people that I know talking about something that happened back in 1982 in Fort Smith, Arkansas. I'm like, I, I'm like, wow, what have I been missing? Nothing. But there's so many things that bide for our time. To say your to God, to say your servant speak for your is really just to close ourselves off 
and putting no other gods before him. It's prioritizing, it's centering, it's whatever you want to call it. It's realizing the things that are a waste of time and focusing on what will truly make the difference in our lives. Speak for your servant is listening. The third word is servant, which isn't, which is my favor, but at the same time, one of the hardest ones to really reconcile. Because we can say, well, I do this for God, and I do this God for that, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. Well, I guess I'm a servant. But the true model of being a servant is Jesus Christ. In fact, he, he told his disciples in Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. And then he gives the example and to give his life a ransom for many. And he fulfills that. And he also, while he's alive, and this is one in my childhood that was, uh, a moment in Christ's life I heard about often growing up as a foot-washing Baptist, okay? John 13, it says after he after they celebrate the Passover meal, he took a towel and wrapped it around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. Being a servant means you don't say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. It means you just do. You just, you're ready. You're, you're on call as it would be. And again, it's not to give yourself a pat on the back or do it for the recognition. It's just literally to do it. Speak for your servant. Speak for your servant is listening. There's the word is. It's the word is. And it's such a small word. And sometimes we overlook what that word is. Is. Is is, right? You study foreign languages, you find out that the word is, is, is to be. In mostly, most languages, it means, uh, has a f- sense of readiness, waiting, ready to go, any moment's notice. It's not that just your heart is there, it's just in action. Your action is literally standing still, anticipating something to do. Speak for your servant is listening. If somebody said, where are you? You say, I am right here. Am is a form of is. And that's what Eli is trying to get Samuel to realize is make yourself ready. Because it's sort of like our list of prayer requests that we sometimes take to God. Sometimes our readiness is in a moment. Sometimes it's like, hold on, I got this list. And I know what it's like to have a list. I, I have a list. We have a list, and about once every two weeks, we go back through the list for our house of things that we are trying to finish up on the remodel. I, I did the doorways in our living room and in, in our kitchen yesterday, and I was like, yes, it's marked off the list, but I can't put trim, base, and back out completely on the list because I still have more, I mean, off the list because I still have more to do. It's on my list. And sometimes we can't make ourselves readily, readily available to God for what He wants us to do because we have our list. Sometimes it's things that we are prioritizing. And sometimes it's just things we are letting get in the way. Now all of these kind of revolve back and forth around each other till you get to the last one, which is listening. And you're all doing a good job right now listening. But I want to ask you, how well do you really 
Make yourself readily available to listen to God. Because sometimes in conversations, there's two types of people. People who respond and people who are waiting for their turn. And if you're the kind of person who's waiting for their turn, you're not really listening. You've listened to like this much and you're waiting for your response time. Okay? What Samuel is being challenged to do is to stop everything and to really, really listen. Now what God is going to say to Samuel isn't going to be easy. Because in fact, he's going to give him a word, a little bit of a, a little bit of a prophecy on what's about to happen to Eli's two sons. And he's going to be a little nervous to deliver the message, but he's going to have to listen. He's going to have to be ready so that he makes sure that he gets the whole thing entirely right. Speak, for your servant is listening. Now when you think about those five words, let me show you really quick what they aren't. What this prayer is not. Go ahead, David. This prayer is, speak, for your servant is listening. It's not this. Go ahead, David. We're going to run through these fast. Hey, buddy, what's new with you? Because when Samuel told him to pray it, Samuel throws, I mean, Eli tells Samuel to pray it, he throws in the word Lord. God is holy. He is sovereign. While Jesus does call us friend, he is still God almighty. And sometimes we, we lower God off of the stature of who he is. So it's not, hey, what's new with you? Because that's not the phrase of a servant. It's not this. It's not, hey, say something you know I'd respond to gladly because there's a few items on my list you know are an automatic no response from me. Right? I've been there. I've been there. And that is not what that prayer is. Here's what the prayer is not. Speak, your number one servant who serves better than anyone else is ready to hear what you have to say. And then parentheses, quietly, I'm the special one, right? Because you know, I do all the things that no one else will do as long as someone else is watching or I take full credit for it later. It's not the heart of a servant. Here's what it's not. It's not, God, you know, I'm kind of busy, so let me get back to you when it's convenient. God doesn't call us at our convenience. He doesn't speak to us at our convenience. He speaks to us on His time. And our hearts need to be ready. If we're too, if you're too busy to hear from God, you are too busy. You say that again. If you are too busy to hear from God, you are too busy. Too busy. Let's go to the next one. Speak, Lord, but remember I'm a pastor. This is where I come in. Because this is what I've been guilty of. But remember, my plate is already full, so I might be able to squeeze in one of your requests. Or squeeze one of your requests in. We can get so busy doing good things that we forget to do the best things or the right things or the thing that he wants us to do. I mean, i got a list of good things that I could do. But I have to remember myself as a pastor. I gotta be in tune with him to do, be doing the right thing. By the way, this goes, you could put in the word parent in this spot. You could put the word grandparent into this spot. 
Because it fits right there. Because there's a lot of good things that we could be doing. But we need God to lead us, Gene, to know the best thing that we can be doing. Here's one. Let me hear it, but I'll consider what you have to say with the possibility of tabling the motion and praying about it for a later time. We treat God like he's some part of a business. And that he's just one section of our life. That's why I love Brad's model of God's place in our life. He needs to not be a, a chunk of the pie. He needs to be right there at the center so everything touches it. He's not, he's not in a category on a list. I got in an argument with my mother, by the way, about this about two months ago. She's, you know, about whether you should put him in the center of the pie chart or you should put him at the top of the priority list. And I said, well, mom, I want you to draw the pie chart. So I'm like listening to her on the phone and she's drawing the pie chart. And I said, okay, so I want you to split up everything in your life. And you can even put church in there. Whatever you want to put. And this is this much of my pie chart, pie chart, right? She does it. And I'm listening to her on the phone. And she's also arguing with a cat the whole time. Anyways, um, so she finally gets done. And I said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a circle about the size of a quarter. And I said, I want you to put it right there and just put a cross right in the middle. And I go, that's why I say he's the center of the pie chart. And she goes, ooh, that's always the best bite of the piece of pie. And I was like, exactly. It kind of makes you wish the rest of the pie was like that piece. And she goes, well, why don't you just make that little bitty circle in the middle bigger? And I go, that's the goal, Mom. That's the goal. We start here, we just go out. It's like one of those brownie pans where it's like all the, every piece is a, is a side crunchy piece with the soft. Some of you are nodding going, yes, that's the piece. Well, that's what we're trying to do with our relationship with God. We start with a little and we just keep giving him more and more and more and more and more. We don't table it and think about it and pray about it. Our response needs to be like the, the call to worship that, that Homer read. God said, who will go for us? And Isaiah didn't say, let me think about it. He responded because his heart was ready. His mind was set. He knew he wanted to serve God. What the hard part about that passage is, is that God basically tells Isaiah, okay, you're going to go speak this message and no one's going to listen to you. Have fun. Are any of us really willing to do that? Are we really willing to do that? Let's do a few more. Let's do a few more real quick. Um, speak, Lord. Sometimes we treat ministry to children like it's prison cave. So speak, Lord. But remember, I've done my nickel in the children's class. That's five years. After a dime, ten years in the nursery, and I won't go back for you or nobody. Got to be willing. Here's another one. It's not this. It's not speak louder. The person over there needs to hear you because they aren't doing right like I am. It's not somebody else. When God speaks to us, he's speaking to us personally. Let's do a few more, I think. Let's do speak, Lord, but I reserve the right to refuse service. Mm. Yeah, if I stepped on someone's toes, let me, I'm telling you, my toes have been stepped on this week. I think I got one or two more. Go ahead, David. It's not this. It's not say something if you want God, but I'll decide if I'm qualified or not. God doesn't call you if you're qualified. God calls you because you're called. God asks you to do something because he needs you to do it. I'm going to put Jan a little bit on the spot. Don't worry. This is softball toss for you because I know the answer. Had you ever done anything like in your community before you did it? 
And do you, would you ever believe that it is what it is now? Did he call you because you were qualified or because you were the person to do it? Yeah, yeah. He called you because you were ready. Really available. That's how he, he calls us. I was a 19-year-old kid who finally surrendered God to call to share his word. And you know what my life was pretty much? It was going to college and it was going bowling with my friends every night. Because that's just what we did and it was keeping us out of doing things we shouldn't be doing. God spoke to me more with that group of other college students in the Bowen Alley parking lot when we would talk and pray every night before we all parted ways. But it wasn't like I was sitting there raring, ready to go. It wasn't like I'd been praying about this and thinking like it was supposed to happen. It just dawned on me, honestly, one night in the in the back of my best friend's pickup truck while we were all sitting in my driveway. This is what I want you to do. And before I could stop myself from saying it, I said it out loud and then the Four or five of them all started laughing. He said, yeah, we've been kind of all talking about this without you. We're just glad you finally caught up on the conversation. God doesn't call us because we're qualified, Joe. He calls us because we're called. And God is calling us all to do something. For some people, it's, it's, it is to preach and teach God's word. And for some people, it's just simply to serve. For some, sometimes when God calls you, it's to share a kind word with another individual because that person needs it that day. And it comes to that person as a miracle because they know there's no way you could have known, Gene, what to say. And you just said it. God calls us all the time. We've got to be willing and ready to answer. I think I've got one or two more. Talk to me. I've got nothing else better to do. It's not that either. It's not that either. He's not an option. He's not a last resort. He's the Lord God Almighty. He's adopted us in as his children, but at the same time, we're still his servants. David, I think we got one more. What's that? Here we go. So speak for your servant is listening. I ask you to get a pen because I want you to do something. Underline the one you feel like you know the best. Whether it was before what we talked about or after, underline the one you think you have the best grasp on. Underline the Lord. If it, is it speak? You understand what it means to, to plead with God? Is it your, cause you, you really, you realize what it means to close yourself off from the things that are distracting you from God? Is it servant? You understand the idea of, of being a servant is simply to serve and not to put yourself on the pedestal is to make sure the one you're serving is promoted and glorified. Is it is because you, you get what it means to be ready? Or is it listening? And you might be a good listener. And you've learned I'm still learning how to be a good listener. So which one is it that you feel like you understand the best? Now, here comes the artwork. Ready? I want you to circle the one. Go ahead, David. I want you to circle the one which you, which needs the most work in your life. Because there might be one that we grasp really good, and we can center on that one and be like, all right, this is for me today, because I, I'm, I know what it means to plead with the Lord, but I want to challenge you with something today. When you pray that prayer, don't just pray the one that you know. Pray the one that you need. Pray the one that you need. For me, and I'll, and I'll just tell you, for me it's is. I've been, I've been reading a book written by a pastor about busyness, and I've been finding myself that I realize I'm, 
I've got too many things going on, and they might be good things, but they're distracting me from the best things. And the things I really should concentrate on aren't the things I'm concentrating on, Gene. It's, it's, even though this is good, this is from God. So you can focus here, you can center on something else. So I'm, I'm pleading with you. Which one is it for you? Underline and then circle. And what I want to challenge you to do this week is to pray this prayer. Speak for your servant is listening. At the end of every time you pray, and then just give him a moment to speak to you. And what you'll probably find out, it may not be right in that moment. It'll be sometime later when you're driving in your car and it just, he speaks. Or maybe when you're walking the dog and he, and he speaks. And maybe when you can't go to sleep or you wake up at four in the morning and you can't go back to sleep, that he speaks. But plead with him to speak because he wants to commune with us. We are his and he has something for all of us that he's calling on us to do. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the challenge we have from your word. I, I pray, God, that you, you help me with my busyness, that you help me to focus on the things that are the most important for, for you, the most important for my family, and the most important for my friends, God. I just, I pray that you help me to focus. And I pray in this room for those who need to just slow down and need to hear your voice. For the ones who've been maybe praying their list, but not really waiting to hear you respond, God, I pray that you speak to them. For the ones who've been distracted by different things, I pray that you would allow them to realize the sections of their life they need to maybe shut down or put on the back burner to where they can really focus on you and be yours. For the ones that are serving, I pray that you help them to be able to do good, good works. The works for the right reason. Not to be known, not to be shown, but to literally to glorify your name. For those of us like me who, who, who need to be ready, ready and available Lord, help us. Help us with the things, the busyness, all those things that distract us. And Lord, for all of us, we need to listen. We need to listen to you because we cannot hear you if we're not ready to listen. So help our hearts and minds quiet down to be able to hear your leading in our lives. And we thank you for how you lead us. We thank you for Jesus and the salvation we find in him and him alone. And it's in your name we pray. And amen.